This Chipotle thing is still ongoing. My editor ended up in urgent care after being deathly ill all night from eating at Chipotle. Hey Roaches, I'm Toddy Tondera, and welcome to my audio thrifting diary. I scour through secondhand items searching for vibrant vintage, useful unusuals, big budget bangers, trendy trinkets, cool collectibles, and good garbage. Each week, we curate a thrift haul, dive into the details, and record an episode based on our findings. I'm sentimentally attached to things you have forgotten. It's time to get thrifty. Hey, who said you could come in here? Pouncey, center of the Pittsburgh Steelers, is a coward. Welcome, one and all, again to Thrifty, the podcast, secondhand shopping for worm people. I'm your host, Toddy. Yes, there was no new episode last week, but see, that's that's a lot of fun because this week's episode is going to be so good and so magnificent that you're going to be like, I bet you there was an episode last week. It's going to fill that void double time. Um, The air conditioning is officially out of my window, so that means not only will there not be uh, a slight hum that usually takes me hours to try to edit out, but um, there's going to be a cold front coming into my apartment. Uh, Friends into my apartment know that in the summer it's too hot, and in in the winter it's too cold. Um, and we're going to be acting right in the middle today. Um, I think uh, it's been a while since I've mentioned it, but if uh, we're looking for some new blood for the thrifty Discord, so if you're on Discord and you're into playing Jackbox or Among Us or um, whatever you do, if you want to play with us, join the thrifty Discord. You can by going to thrifty at thrifty podcast on Instagram um, to do that. And uh, on this uh, week break, I was trying to catch up on some stuff that I haven't caught up on in a while. And guess what? I did about 50% of it, and my car was totaled. Anyway, welcoming back to the thrifty couch, it's fourth under God, Shane Becker. So much information just came out of your mouth. Yeah, try. I try to speed it up. You said, I'm going to put everything into one word. I'm going to try my best. And it's way too many letters. Just Can't like the pros. It. Just like the pros. Just do it off the seat of your pants. Hi, Toddy. Hey, hey, Shane. How is life, Toddy? Uh, uh, I mean, we've been working with through Brick Body Kids, and that's been the only apparent for the past couple of weeks. I so, fell asleep on your floor. You fell asleep on my floor, um, I think, the night before last. You had been complaining about your back hurting. I said you should lie on the floor and couldn't have been five minutes <laughs> i was so sleepy um i sent you the video of you sleeping right yeah cool because i deleted it from my phone just face up in the air so if you ever needed it for for whatever for whatever reason there is a video of you sleeping hat on shoes on i believe too 
face up to the floor. Had and then, on shoes on. Then you went to my couch and did it. I was asleep. Brother clawed me in my sleep. Yeah. And then you can't lay without him just being there. Mm-hmm. So I like lay on my stomach when I sleep. He's laying in between my legs. I'd get up. I couldn't get up because he's laying on my legs. Now, brother the cat uh, abides by his, by brother law, which is if he wants to do something, the only way to get him to stop wanting to do that is for him to decide that he wants to stop. Now, he does often decide that he wants to stop, but you could move him if he's in a chair that you don't want him to be in. You could take him to another room, and he will merely return to the chair because he is not done with the brother activities in the chair. The brother activity stops for no one. Well, he has been, and cats don't do this, but he's been trying to hibernate. Um, he's been trying to hide uh, between my mattress and the wall, in a loaf of bread position. So he's been telling me physically that he is very cold. That it's time for some warm yeah. in here. So I got him a, a baby blanket and I put it on the brother chair, which I sit in to record. Because this was my podcast recording chair. And then when I got a cat, it became his chair. So you never really see both of us in the chair at the same time. No. So think about that. Think about it. Toddy and brother are the same person, never in the same room at the same time. So we have a, an exciting episode this week. Um, we're going to be talking about uh, more literature, more books. Book club. Book club. Thrifty book, book club. club. That could be a cool episode title. Book club. Thrifty book club. Let's talk about books. Let's talk about reading. Let's, yeah, I've read. Roaches a, are reading. I've, I've read about four books in my life, and um, two of them we talked about <laughs> last episode, and two of them today. And that's the only other books I read. That's a lie, but very funny. Um, so, yeah, so King Prin was on a few weeks back, and we busted out some of uh, our books from our collections. And I have a pretty big, actually, a pretty big book collection. And so, uh, Shane, I presented the idea to Shane, and Shane has brought some a couple of books. Thrifted. thrifted I mean, everything's books. thrifted. Mm-hmm. But these, these these were found two months ago. I'm kind of excited for the book that you previously told me that you did not like at all. Oh, it's garbage. Yeah, I'm pretty excited about that. But uh, let's get right to it. We're going to hop into our first act today, Something You've Never Seen Before. Something You've Never Seen Before. So for new listeners to the show, something you've never seen before, we put together a curated thrift haul. And with that curated thrift haul, we uh, discuss those items, and then we ask each other educated questions, multiple choice questions, um, a question adjacent to the item. And then if we get the question correct, we get a point. And at the end of this episode, we add up all the points and see who won. Shane is on a three-appearance win record, I believe. Is that confirmed? Um, it's like, I would say, 85% confirmed. I thought it'd be more, but hey, who knows? Yeah, so you're on a three-episode uh, three, uh, win streak. So let's get into our first book of the day. Um, so with the fall season coming up, usually Thrifty does spooky episodes. Oh, spooky. All October. Spooky. Um, but um, this isn't quite spooky, this but I'll tell you what. This is a preseason game. Yeah. 
this is where we kind of uh, stretch it out a little bit. Um, you know, just throw those, uh, uh, those eight yard dig routes, uh, and out routes to get our arms, uh, used to the pressure of spooky season. So we're going to go over some books and we're going to talk about something that I'm, um, very well known to be pretty passionate about. We are looking, uh, for our first item for our curated thrift haul, we are looking at history's greatest conspiracies. Ooh, a little bit of 9-11 stuff? No, 9-11 stuff. Older? So Area 51 stuff. Yeah, you're kind of focusing in on the two uh, the two spectrums of what I... Zodiac killer stuff? No, we're talking about aliens. Oh, we're talking about aliens. He's wearing the X-Files hat today, folks. Yeah, wearing an X-Files hat. And this was by H. Paul Jeffers. And it's actually from 2004. Oh, almost. Just missed the cut. Just missed the cut. So I'm assuming that H. Paul Jeffers, when he put this book together, he knew about 9-11. I mean, I'm that, sure someone knew about 9-11. Yeah, so I'm going to uh, take a look at this, and it's a hardback book. And uh, the cover on it, it has uh, it's a black cover with a white piece of paper on it with a black handprint. Can I get a little teacher show? Can you show me the, f- the cover? I will in, uh, yes, I can now actually because I was going to read it. But here's what we're looking at. Oh, very nice. As far as the front cover. Looks like an x-ray. Yeah, it's kind of like an x-ray, but it's like a hand stamp. Um, And then obviously a pen circling some of the the stamp of the hand to kind of maybe identify somebody. Oh, a little bit of identification on the hand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then it says right on it, history's greatest conspiracies. 100 plots, real and suspected, that have shocked, fascinated. Ooh. Ooh. And sometimes change the world, oh. Shane. Sometimes change the whole world. When you change the whole world. So um, what I have here, if you're looking at the uh, table of contents. The TOC. The TOC, if you will. Um, it's big. This is a thick book. And I'm going to read. Um, there is probably, I'd say, oh, I could tell you exactly. There is 100 different conspiracies inside this one book um so just to read off a couple of uh well some of the the good ones here uh satan and satan and adam and eve oh that's religion. number that's number one bang uh the greatest conspiracy ever known kapow uh ja- <laughs> japan's sneak attack on pearl harbor Foosh. here's a here's an interesting uh conspiracy listed Al-Qaeda. Boo, boo, boo. Al-Qaeda. Um, that's, that's one. Uh, assassination of John F. Kennedy, of Scree- course. Who killed Bobby Kennedy. Oh. The Mafia. Uh, Watergate. There's, oh. a, there's a lot of good ones here. Are you enjoying the ad-libs? Oh, yeah. No, those are all great over there. <laughs> um, the Great Train Robbery. Choo-choo. The Assassination of Julius Caesar. Ah. Is in this uh, Manson family, which actually that could be fun. That could just be just a thing, an own its own episode. Yeah, maybe for the Halloween episodes, we'll get back to talking about the Manson family. Um, but we're going to look at Conspiracy seventy five today. Ooh, tell me about it. Um, Conspiracy seventy five, Shane, is actually called Aliens. Ooh, Among Us. Among Us. 
So, uh, Aliens Among Us is the conspiracy that we're going to get into today. Um, as I try to turn uh, a hardcover book with one hand as I hold the microphone in the other. Um, no stands here. We don't really use mic stands, though I do have them. Um, let's get into it. Cool. So, Shane, if I, if I said uh, Aliens Among Us. Um, yeah, Ted Cruz. Yeah, I was going to say, who do you think could possibly be an alien? Ted Cruz? Ted Cruz. Um, ooh, sleeper pick, Keanu Reeves. Ooh. Uh, another sleeper pick, definitely most, if not everyone, associated with Fox News. Ooh, okay. Tommy Lauren just seems like a yeah fabricated being. Yeah, not a, maybe a projection entity. Yeah, like a Tupac hologram. Yeah, kind of like that. Um, I was thinking a sleeper pick for a possible alien among us. Uh, flow from the progressive commercials. Trevor Lawrence, quarterback of the Clemson Tigers. Both, uh, yeah, I guess we're confirming both Trevor Lawrence and Flo from the Progressive Commercials are confirmed aliens. The Jamie from the Progressive Commercials probably, too. Ooh, maybe that's how Flo got the gig. Everyone keeps talking about in harassing that one woman from, what, AT&T? Oh, I didn't know about a harassment. When is Jamie from uh, Progressive going to start dropping his dick on the ground? Whoa. And people are going to start seeing that. Whoa. And so just that... exposing everyone in the insurance industry and the telephone industry. So that's that's some true conspiracy firsthand. That's some conspiracy. Where is that content at? Yeah, well, it's not in the top 100. But I'll tell you what 75 is. Is it's... this a ranking system or just a list of, se- of 100 A things? list of... Se- it's a list of 100. Okay. Um, so we're going to take a look at this. So aliens among us, according to a public opinion survey conducted for time magazine and the cable news network in 1994, 80% of Americans believe that for more than half a century, the U S government has been concealing, not only that it possesses spacecrafts from elsewhere, but also that it has dead bodies of extraterrestrial creatures. I'm sure something is there. Yeah, what are your feelings about that? Do you think that we have um, uh, alien, an alien I mean, species I'm sure body somewhere? Maybe not a humanoid kind of alien, but definitely like life mm-hmm. and maybe humanoid stuff, but you never know. And so over 80% of the population thinks that there's something going on. I'm sure there's a lot of things going on. If true, the largest and most significant conspiracy of all time would have involved every American president since Harry S. Truman. Why then, specifically? Because because that's when we, like, yeah, we, we found out a lot about space. Okay. Prior to Truman, we didn't know a ton about what's out there yeah but with truman we were exploring space so we're so the ideology saying, there yeah. is okay is saying that could be the potential of when that started uh hundreds of officials of the defense department also could be involved and many thousands of federal employees the belief in this belief in a government cover-up of its knowledge of the existence of alien beings from outer space has its roots in what has become known as the Roswell Incident. Ooh, Area 51. On July 3rd, 1947, 
following the observance of strange flashes in the night sky and the sound of an explosion by residents of the small town in New Mexico, a local flying object was reported crashed in the desert. Convinced that he'd found a flying saucer, a farmer carried a large piece of debris home and stored it in his garage. The discovery was reported by local press and repeated from coast to coast. So, um, I, I do remember this quite well. A few days later, Air Force officials arrived from Roswell Air Force Base to investigate the find and the supposed crash site. The area was immediately secured and no one was allowed in it. So, Roswell, back in 1947, that's been the biggest um, hopeful landing of a UFO, a, a crash landing. That could have been possible. And the problem with that is, is you got a farmer. He says, I got a spaceship in my garage. He's probably got a pitchfork in the other hand. Got a pitchfork. And then he said, you could go out in the field and look through the, look through the ship. Dig through the trash. And as soon as they started digging through alien trash, they secured that area. And we have found out nothing really since then but some strange photographs. That's it. There was like something that came out last year where like fighter jets were flying. This was even this year, I think. Word. Like fighter jets were flying and they picked up like a craft on their infrared. Ooh. There's like video of this. Oh, do you mean okay. Do you um, this? This was probably in March. Yeah, well that particular incident that you're talking about actually happens quite often. Yeah. Um, so there are records, not only from this year, but years dating back, because I watched the Flight Channel on YouTube and all kinds of stupid things about flying, because I'm terrified of it, and there's been videos of, yeah, just aircraft carriers of some sort, whether they be military or civilian, um, they just see some, like, weird ships out there in the sky with them, and so there's some video of that kind of stuff going on. Um, so that's been something that's been not only in the news recently, but probably forever. Um, so uh, Aliens Among Us from History's Greatest Conspiracies. Now, um, three of the most popular types of aliens. You probably could name a- at least one or two of them. Um, the flat and the drum. I'm not sure the third. Ooh. Um, well, you're correct with those, but even a more broader sense... We're talking about the greys, the reptilians, and the little green men today. Okay, so yeah. Mm-hmm. The three flavors. The three flavors of aliens. Uh, the greys, they're, gray, they're gray-skinned humanoids, usually about three to four feet tall. Hairless, they got a large head. They got, yeah. Almond eyes. South Park. Predominant extraterrestrial since 1960. So when people would say they saw aliens, it's usually these tall greys who just look like uh, NFL punters who, who haven't eaten, basically, is what they're shaped like. And we got the reptilians. Now, we know the reptilians. You're Ted Cruz's of the world. Yeah. So if you know Ted Cruz, You're you know lizard one. people. We have, they're tall. Yeah. They're scaly. They got teeth. They got teeth. They're humanoids. They shapeshift. Big-ass eyes. And they're mostly Republicans, which is an interesting fact about the reptilians. Yeah. We we got the often-talked-about, rarely-seen type of alien. The Marvin the Martians. We got the little green men, and uh, they're small, green, and humanoid. Now, when people have said they found aliens, 
they've never found a little green guy. Unless they're talking about leprechauns, which could be a crossover. Which could be a whole other episode we could dig into. But they usually find the tall greys. So, history's greatest conspiracies, my first find of the day. And Shane, I'm ready for my first thrifty trivia wow, trivia question. Breezed right through that. Sure. So much talk about aliens, mm-hmm. lost track of time. So, my first question to you, multiple choice, of course. Which of the alien races is said to exhibit the most civilized behaviors? I think I know this one. So of the, uh, uh, I mentioned the three most common types of aliens. And there's there's so many other aliens. So Mm -hmm. which of the alien races is said to exhibit the most civilized behaviors? A, the greys. B, the reptilians. C, the little green men, or D, another alien race not listed. I you gotta think you play the media card here. Sure. Um, there's been several movies that have come out f- forever now. There's that one movie came out, gotta be within the last ten years, where they go through a portal, and it's the one guy. This is, it's not going to happen. It's a Will Ferrell movie, I think. <laughs> oh, well, then, yeah, I don't know Will Ferrell. I, I think movies. it's a Will Ferrell movie where they go through a portal and they meet aliens. And every time, like, people meet aliens in movies and they're reptiles, they always have British accents. Well, would that, would you consider them civilized? I think based that's on them that. trying to be like, hey. Yeah. We got smart things going on. Because the American brain interprets a British accent as smart. Yes, yeah, and that's how it's portrayed. And Ted Cruz is 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 a confirmed reptilian. Ted Cruz just is pudgy and looks like a glove filled with cottage cheese. Yeah, his face kind of looks like peanut butter. Yeah, but I'm gonna go with lizard people, reptilians. B lizard people, reptilians. Okay, so for uh, first point for Shane, see if he gets it. Which of these alien races is said to exhibit the most civilized behaviors? A, greys, B, reptilians, C, little green men, D, none of the above. Shane said B, reptilians. The correct answer, gotta be the reptilians, baby. Yeah, English accents. Shane is on the board Early, it's the yeah. English accents from the Will Ferrell movie. The Will Ferrell movie. Will, hold on, Will. Googling it now. Alien. Uh, Shane brings his his own laptop over to work now. He Land formally... of the Lost. Oh, Land of the Lost was a remake. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm okay. saying I know it's, a, but I'm, that's how I remember it. Yeah. Okay. But they they got lizard people in that that have English accents. Yeah. I yeah. It's different than the original. I never even seen that one. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm just a baby kid. <laughs> you live in a constant state of depression. I live with my parents. So it all works out the same way. Um, so you got a point, bud. That's pretty cool. Yeah, you got an early point. Pretty cool. Uh, so that's my first book. And um, for your first book of the episode, what are we taking a <laughs> look at today? Get, let's get into some pretty much just treason stuff, huh? Treason, tyranny. Tyranny, just all around awful things. Yeah, let's get into it. Let's gonna really have to talk about this topic without like being yeah sure too depressing. Let's talk about the Holocaust. Yeah, um, unfortunate. However, it, is, it is a book of history, so it, it is, is a book 
Yes. Essentially saying, hey, corporate greed and shilling is awful. Let's talk about IBM and the Holocaust. Love it. Okay. IBM, International Business Machines, is what that stands for. Learned that today. Mm -hmm. Uh, Had a little bit of involvement in the Holocaust. Terrible. This book is from 2002 by author Edwin Black, The Strategic Alliance Between Nazi Germany and America's Most Powerful Corporation, IBM and the Holocaust. What do, you, what do you think happens here? Well, it sounds I like it, well the book know. is very thick, so I will tell you these are some a thick lot. books. And I've read this book, but I found this book and the other book we're talking about today in a Salvation Army in Morgantown, West Virginia. Okay, they had a four dollar card that you needed to reach four dollars to use a card. Mm-hmm. I was at three dollars and fifty cents. So you piled on a so couple I of put, books. I put. This book on first. She's like, that's 25 cents. I go, you really can't just charge me the extra 25. She goes, no. So I pick up the other one. We got four and we left West Virginia. Going back to the book. In the early 1880s, Herman Hollerith, a young employee of the U.S. Census Bureau, conceived the idea of creating readable cards with standardized preparations, a punch card, Mm -hmm. as they are known now, each representing a specific individual trait, such as gender, nationality, and occupation. Herman went on to find or found IBM, which made the machines that made oh. these punch cards and other machines. Weird. Founded it with a man named Watson, okay. which we know now as the founder, co-founder, CEO of IBM. Jeez. Uh, in the 30s. And so what IBM did was supplied Nazi Germany with punch card machines that they used in the census to pretty much sort out the people that they found it desirable. Yeah, and then so IBM, for documentation purposes. And then IBM also offered them support. Gross. And also went under a pseudonym so they could help Nazi Germany during this time. So they didn't even use IBM? No, they couldn't use... They well, I didn't obviously think they weren't allowed any, yeah. to be in Germany, so they went under the pseudonym... Domag. 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 The pseudonym Domag. And that kept them off the map from pretty much the federal government finding that they were helping Nazi Germany. Gross. Uh, so essentially the book goes on that um, Herman and Watson made a secret deal with Germany, which allowed them this, to this pretty much circumvent the rules of the earth. Yeah, to be in business bed with each mm-hmm. other and then yeah just so much to the point where germany became the second largest provider for ibm outside of the u.s market which they had Disgusting. already pretty much ruled you think mm-hmm. um and the reason why people don't talk about this anymore is ibm destroyed all the paper trails yeah and like destroyed every ounce of knowledge and then like a team of 200 researchers went in and found like this little bit of information which then probably opened up a... No, this is all they found. So just oh. the punch card stuff so far and them pretty much helping. So they confirmed that if this they just did this, then I'm sure they... Yeah. Yeah, there's a bunch of other things. And uh, Watson and Herman both love Germany. Big into it. Like, Watson had, like, a cult inside of IBM that would, like, chant songs and chant his name. That... Okay, nuts. so there that runs some parallels. 
Yeah. That runs some parallels yeah. there. Yeah. Uh, the guy who invented the machine, Herman, mm-hmm. uh, he had an obsession with his German heritage, and he would get into fights with prime ministers or anyone that disagreed with Germany. That also runs some parallels. And disagree about the price of his machines. That, yeah, that, that adds up too. Yeah. So in, in present day, IBM, what 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 is their, what brings in their... Their computers, the most money still. You computers think? and servers and that sort of technology servers. thing. Yeah. yeah, because IBM's. I don't. I mean, I guess it's the inner workings of the mechanics of the machines. I mean, more they so also make a, computers, but barely. Yeah, that's they why do I, like the processing cores and yeah, whatever the else guts. goes into it. Yeah, yeah. Um, terrible stuff. But terrible after this news. book came out, they never really denied anything. They just were like. Hey, you reported this and made accusatory remarks. We but know. they didn't deny it. They so essentially they like, just know. said, we know we fucked up. And our founder is a Nazi. And we're still a company that makes trillions of dollars a year. And it was off the back of a Nazi. Yeah. And so um, I had read this book before. but kind of like our early space program. Yeah. Fucking crazy shit. Yeah. But I had read this as well as my partner, Michaela. Michaela helped me out a little bit. She was just like, hey, remember this, this, and this? And I was like, definitely do now. And IBM is off scot-free and is making computers and has a supercomputer named Watson, named after a guy who's a Nazi. Wow. That's kind of left me a little dumbfounded. So, yeah. So, so the Watson is based on that. That's based on that man who was a Nazi. Yikes. Uh, which leads me to my question. Books today, folks. <laughs> it's crazy conspiracy <laughs> stuff, but also real true stuff. Yeah. Uh, Watson, the supercomputer, as we know, has been on a few things. He's played some chess. Mm-hmm. Uh, the computer's also been on Jeopardy. Do you remember the, the computer being on Jeopardy? I don't remember it being on Jeopardy. Uh, You're Wa- a Jeopardy watcher, though. I love Jep. Yeah. Big Jep guy. Yeah. For... Though three non-U.S. viewers that listen to our show, Jeopardy is an American trivia show. Yeah, hosted by Alex Trebek. Uh huh. All hail. Um, um. Here, here's a question. Just an off, well, off topic, on topic. Mm-hmm. When you watch an episode of Jeopardy, yeah, how many questions do you get right per episode? You think on average, like thirty-five percent. Thirty-five percent. Yeah. Depends on the topic. Sometimes they hit you with, like, the literary questions. I'm not a big lit guy. Yeah. Like, you know, it's like things that aren't inside your Q zone. Uh-huh. Um, but, like, 35%. Okay. I'd think. Okay, that's a fair... That's or a at fair least number. have a formidable guess. Yeah. To probably 25% right. Yeah. I, I would say, to be honest, I would say somewhere around that percentage, too. But sometimes, yeah, sometimes they just hit you with a category, and I know not And sometimes one. the whole episode fucking sucks. Like, I will know not one in that category, no. but then other categories on the Every one. Yeah. Sports categories. Sometimes. As a straight white male. Yeah. You love the sports categories watching Jeopardy. Yeah, I get some of those. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and what does that say about the status <laughs> of who we are as human beings? I get some. Some of those. Um, but Watson was on a three-day series of Jeopardy. Mm-hmm. Facing off against Ken Jennings. I know Ken Jennings. Former top earner on Jeopardy. Yeah. And Brad Rutter. Also, a, uh, same as Ken Jennings a little bit later. Got it. A lot of money. Got it. Cool. Um, all three of them played over a three-day course. 
How much did com- how much did Watson the supercomputer win by? How much did Watson the supercomputer win? What was his margin of victory by real beat real by geniuses? They, yes, essentially a fifty three thousand one hundred forty seven dollars. Mm-hmm. B sixty thousand five hundred and twenty four dollars. Mm-hmm. C seventy seven thousand seven hundred two dollars. Or D. None of the above, and I sorted these by lowest to highest, so you wouldn't yell at me. Thank you, because I was I already on my notebook and notes in front of me wrote down A, B, C, or D, so I would know what the numbers were. Um, I also noticed last week on the print episode, uh, he didn't do none of the aboves. Yeah, he didn't do none of the aboves, and I just let it slide because it was just happening. So I was like, <laughs> I was all about go. it. I was like, I might yeah, just take after this yeah, and piss well, off Toddy once or twice. Yeah. I mean, he he shot me with that, so I just went with it. Um, but yeah, how much did Watson the supercomputer win by when he faced off against two geniuses in Jeopardy? So, um, A, $53,147. B, $60,524. C, $77,702. Or D, Nada. None of the above. Nada. N O T A. Um, I don't think, personally speaking, that he won by such a significant margin. But I would believe Watson itself did. I'm I, what what I'm looking at here is probably B sixty thousand five twenty four. Mm-hmm. But I'm not positive about that because I I feel like that if it was any higher than sixty thousand, I would have heard of it. But none of the above is is a very sexy pick here because none of the above is literally any other number except for these three in history of numbers. So, um, you know what? Let's let's have fun. Let's have fun. He <laughs> said, so "Let's let it fly." Let's let it fly. I'm going to say D. None of the above. The numbers that you had given me. The A, 53 and some change. The B, 60 and some change. The C, 70 and some change. I'm not going to go with any of those. I'm going to go D, none of the above. The answer, A, 53,147. Damn. Um, All right. Watson well, had 77,147. The second closest was Ken Jennings with 24,000. Mm, okay. And if you've watched those episodes, Watson shouldn't be allowed because it's a computer. I uh I watched the Ken Jennings saga. Ken Jennings, very your era of Jeopardy. Yeah, and so I I I know about Ken Jennings and everything like that. Yep. Um, lovely and, father of like six. Yeah, and Alex Trebek, obviously that a saint. Lovely father of my life. Yeah, like just a like one of the nicest people, and obviously he's ill, and that's so that's like sad. going on the topic of Jeopardy. He's actually kind of better now. By the way, oh, uh, he's been a lot better. Cool. Um, That's I'm happy. On the topic of aliens among us, yeah. Once there was a contestant on Jeopardy named Lizard. That's it. His name was Lizard. Oh, the the name that he gave on the thing was Lizard. Well, his name is Lizard. Like that isn't the name he gave. <laughs> That's his God given name. Did he just go by the whole Lizard? He just goes by. It's his name, Lizard. I know. I know. But I'm saying, did he go by Liz? No, it's just Lizard. Lizard. Alex Trebek had to say lizard the whole episode. That's a lot of fun. Lizard Smith. What do we got next, Toddy? Because I don't know the things you have. Okay, well, the next one um, 
We're, we're, we're talking about some freak pets. <laughs> oh, talking about some fur-fur-freaks. Yeah, so we're getting Ooh, into... That was the most print thing I've ever done in my life. So we're getting into some uh, freak books here. Um, this stuff. book I actually read when I was a little freak. I haven't read it in quite some time, but I did buy it secondhand uh, actually a couple of years ago, and it's been sitting on the shelf waiting to be used on a thrifty episode. Uh, and we're talking about Bonicula. Excuse me? Uh, it's a it's a rabbit tale of mystery. Did you say Bonicula? Bonicula. 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 Oh, like Dracula, but it's a bunny? Yeah, it's Bonicula. Um, today, vegetables, dot, 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 tomorrow... The world. Other vegetables. Other vegetables. So on the back it says, beware the hare. Is he or isn't he a vampire? He is. Before it's too late, Harold the dog and Chester the cat must find out the truth about the newest pet in the Monroe household. A suspicious looking bunny with unusual habits. Does the bunny have a name? Uh, well, they that's what they call it. Oh, they just call it Benicula? It's not like Perry the bunny? Yeah, and, and it has fangs. So that was the first thought process. <laughs> the first little bit of, uh, oh, maybe you don't have a rabbit. Yeah. Um, eyes red. Just red. Completely that's red. That's how they do it. Yeah, probably white body. Yep. It's a Dr- Dracula bunny. Dracula bunny. And um, it, a kind of a flex. Now, this was written by a Deborah and James Howe. And kind of a flex on the back. Um, so this uh, Benicula was originally written in 1979, mm-hmm. and this is a copy from 1996, a paperback copy, and there's more than 8 million Benicula's books in print today. Ooh, to counter that, both my books are New York Times bestsellers. Well, um, It shows you how much they just let anyone get on that list. Yeah, that's, that, that's pretty much it. And uh, I thought it was interesting, because in the, uh, in the, uh, the, the pa- other paperbacks... By James Howell. Um, uh, one of them's called uh, Eat Your Poison Deer. Um, here's a cool one. Morgan's Zoo. Um, how about what Eric knew? Who's Eric? Uh, what he knew. Um, and that, that's another funny one. Um, the Benicula series in itself. This was the first Benicula. This is the- there's several? Yeah. So there's a Benicula epidemic. Yeah. There's a bunch of bunnies with fangs and they're trying to eat you and the how couple just made money on yeah bunnies with bunny fangs. with fangs so we got banicula we got the the howl a day in uh the celery stalks at midnight yo what if that was about celery stalks that ate you uh yeah that would be pretty fucking hard this sounds a lot like so goosebumps yes but they're using a lot of like play on words here yeah. Um. I was looking at this before. I really hope you don't hate me. We're going to go on a slight tangent. Yeah, go for it. Uh, One night, I was just kind of like chilling on... um Online? Online. I was on Goodreads. <laughs> right? Chilling on online? I was on Goodreads. Yeah. And for some unknown reason to me, mm-hmm. I was in the uh, erotica section. Oh, for some unknown reason to you, <laughs> I came across uh, Ravaged by the Gingerbread Man, Oh, which is an erotica novel by Fanny Tucker. Okay. Uh, Ravaged by the Gingerbread Man. Went on to Fanny Tucker's uh, Goodreads page. Yeah. If you wanted to have a stab at how many books Fanny Tucker's written, 248. Yeah, I was going to say 17. Uh, including 
Including, including, including. That's like a book a day. That's way too many fucking books, Toddy. Could you imagine being that horny? Yeah. Okay, yeah, so I have, can't. <laughs> we have Ravaged by the Gingerbread Man. Uh-huh. Uh, bagged by the Groceries. Bagged by the Groceries. Garden Gnome Gangbang. I could get into this stuff. This I, seems fun. I fucked the pocket. I fucked the puppet. <laughs> <laughs> Did you? Uh-huh. Nostril <laughs> fucked <laughs> by the micropetus. Yeah, it's gonna be small to get in there. And um, <laughs> I mean, I'm just gonna click a random number, and one mm-hmm. of them will probably have a funny name. Yeah. Uh, the hillbilly's rich baby mama. Yeah, that's kind of funny. That's a good one. Jackhammer, American sex god. Yeah, that sounds like a cool sex wrestler. Alien brood maiden. Uh huh. And. Every Republican's favorite, mm-hmm. while my husband watches. While my husband watches. But uh, that's on just topics of fun book series. I bet you there's some witch ones in there, too, that I would uh, read. Dude, you could go through all of them. Honestly. How much are they? Free. Shit, are you kidding? I'm dead ass. All the ebooks are free. Yo, I'm about to blaze it for 20. <laughs> dude, it's <laughs> like you just could sit on there and be throttled arrested by my cop daddy (laughs) (laughs) yeah but uh that's fatty tucker for you check her out on goodreads check me out on goodreads under chuck busford let's talk books yeah um so deborah and james howard a bit more wholesome um thank god but uh they uh they uh have a, a series um with two friends Called uh, Pinky and Rex. Sick. And, and they do different things. Okay. And uh, my question, my thrifty trivia trivia question, okay. is actually about Pinky and Rex, uh, the Ooh, series. I'm enjoying this. Little okay. Pinky, Pinky, Pinky and Rex Pinky series. And so, Rex. so there's been two questions so far. You have one point, I have zero points. Which is rare. Early offense from Shane does not happen. Yeah, so you might be able to, to hit one of these two. So um, this is about... The Ghostfucker 3 Bukake. The Ghostfucker 3. Bukake. That's fun. Continue, I'm sorry. Um, What is the book Pinky and Rex and the Double Dad Weekend about? Pinky and Rex and the Double Dad Weekend? Yeah. What is the book Pinky and Rex and the Double Dad Weekend about? So you have uh, four things total here. I know you're going to probably say three obvious things here. Okay, so yeah. Um, so three answers, and then did I make all of them up? We'll find out. Um, so A, Pinky and Rex and their dads are set to go camping, but it rains. So they do stuff inside. That's that's A. Uh, B. Two Dad Weekend. Pinky and Dad and their dads work on small wooden cars to race against their sons. Too much parallel to Boy Scouts. Yeah, that's a that's a clear Boy Scout parallel, no doubt. C. Pinky helps his shy friend Rex, who is going to be in the school spelling bee, which both dads will be in the attendance of. Imagine having a spelling bee and only one of your dads comes. Damn. The other one just couldn't be bothered. <laughs> well, I think what that means is is Pinky's dad and Rex's dad are both in attendance, so both their fathers are there. And uh, oh, they're not brothers. No, this friends. isn't about gay dads. No, that's not. I, mean, I was it, really happy with the progressiveness. I mean, it might be about gay dads, but like they're not related. Okay, and also for the record, this is not spooky. No, 
Oh, I went into this thinking, how are any of these topics spooky? Oh, no, this isn't spooky. This is just having fun. Yeah, this is just having fun. Yeah. Okay. We're not quite in October. But again, what is the book Pinky and Rex and the Double Dad Weekend about? (laughs) A, Pinky and Rex and their dads are set to go camping, but it rains, so they do stuff inside. B, Pinky and Rex and their dads work on small wooden cars to race against their sons. C, Pinky helps his shy friend Rex, who's going to be in the school spelling bee, which both dads will be in attendance of. Or D, I made up A, B, C, and none of them were correct. Nada. Well, none of a, the above. It's a two-dad weekend, so you got to think. Two-dad weekend. You're not going to spend time spelling. That seems... Maybe that you wouldn't do that on no a weekend. No one's got time for spelling. Could be Monday morning. Ah, oh, fuck that. Could be Monday I'm morning I'm throwing C beans. out the door. All right. Immediately. Three's, C is dead. I'm treating C like Ted Cruz and telling him to get bent. Cool. Um, <sighs> Camping stuff seems interesting. You, you go camping on a weekend, traditionally. Pinewood Derby stuff could take a weekend as well yeah that was that's definitely but, what that's in reference to but camping mm-hmm. could be weekend camping stuff seems like something that happens friday night and you come back sunday afternoon and that's a two dad and that's a double dad double donger weekend yeah um that that that's a possibility on the sheet too yeah it is so big that you aren't gonna just none of the above me about a children's book yeah, um, which you got to think is just sad. If yeah, I mean, there's a possibility that I made all these up. Yeah, but I'm thinking A. You are thinking A. I think an A double dad, double camping rain weekend, doing things inside. Yep. Okay. So, what is the book Pinky and Rex and the Double Dad Weekend about? Uh, Shane said A. Pinky and Rex and their dads are set to go camping, but it rains, so they do stuff inside. Um, and the correct answer is A. They go camping, but it rains, so they do stuff inside. Sick. So, Shane, you have two Really points. early offense fans of Shane Becker. Two zip. Um, you got a pop for this. Yeah. Um, so, B um, was one made up based on Boy Scouts. I figured. C is actually a, a, a very popular Pinky and the Rex book, <laughs> um, but it's, it's about a spelling bee. Yeah, it's, you don't spend a weekend preparing for a spelling bee. I don't know, maybe if you're with two your dads, dads. Maybe if your two dads are there. You, I think you didn't play the dads up enough in C. I mean, if you would have played them up more than them just being in attendance. I mean, but that's that is the that's that's the plot of the book. Yeah. But that book's not called the Double Dad Weekend. No, it's not. Yeah, that's it's the Double Dad Weekend implies the Double Dads doing double double the fun. Yeah, have you ever been so anxious of disappointing your friend's dad? No, I haven't. I've never really popped for any of my friends' dads. No, only no. like three, maybe four of my friends' dads I've really popped for. Yeah, one um, was a cop. Yeah. Can't do that. Can't really pop for the cop. No pop for cops. Um, My dad, like, only loves me, like, 75% of the time. So, yeah, I never really worried about Gee his whiz. friends. <laughs> okay. So, you got that right. 2-0. 2-0 so far. Yeah. So but we're in the bottom of the second, folks. Yeah. And we're talking about appropriation. Oh, perfect. We're talking about one of the most terrible, horrible, awful... 
shit stains of a book by author Eric Van Lusbader. Wow. Shan. Shan. And what Shan is, is a uh, pretty much just a fetishization of Chinese culture. Yeah, it sounds like it. I picked this book up that day mainly because it's four-fifths of my name. S-H-A-N. That's it. Uh, on the back, the blossoms of the apricot blow from the east to the west. And I have tried to keep them from falling. Shan. <coughs> Jake Marrock is the prodigal, prodigal son, the lethal child of two cultures. He is torn by guilt, by honor, by lust for vengeance. Ooh. The jade foo his father gave him is his torment and the key to victory in a battle that will turn the world upside down. A battle which demands the ultimate strategy. But the ultimate strategy is Shan. <laughs> and Shan... When the ultimate strategy is Shan. <laughs> and Shan... I'm doing a monologue right now, Toddy. And Shan is the mountain. Death will reign before the kingdom is whole. Uh, That's it. Oh, that's hard. Dude, it's pretty much just if a white man tried to write Akira after only watching like 35 second clips of it on YouTube. Mm-hmm. It's a thick book and it's you have 600. confessed to reading it. Yeah. So So how long did it take you to read? Not long. It felt like a ton of time, but it's one of those books that has way too many pages for no reason. Because mm-hmm. it's printed on what, like 8 by 4? paper um and the fonts probably font size 14 mm-hmm. um so it could have it got could have got done in half the time so fucking boring dude um the pacing garbage just like it's what it's pretty much just if one of those episodes in an anime that like a battle takes probably five episodes to finish mm-hmm. this is one of those episodes where nothing really happens but they bill it as something happens. Um, Love it. So there's not much to talk about. It's like a Chinese-esque, like, saving the world novel, yeah. pretty much. Uh, there's a lot to talk about in the reviews of the book. Okay, I'm, I'm interested in the Which will give you probably a way better understanding The of reviews that. of Shan. And then once we get into the author, who some people know as the... Uh, New writer for Jason Bourne over the past couple decades after the original creator and died. And so working on Shan before Eric, that. So this Shan is from 1987. Ooh. This is a first edition. Mm. Um, Eric Van Lusbader had wrote The Ninja in 1975, which is apparently a really good book. Uh, but it's just a white dude writing about Asian culture all the time. Cool. That's most of his books. And he also just looks like a cop. He looks like a cop. Yeah, you want to see, you want to see him? Yeah, let's, let's put him put him over here. See uh, if he, uh... he kind of just looks like the police chief in every yeah. TV show ever. He kind of just looks like a cop. You're right um, about that. But he's done Jason Bourne, cop. and that's about all I can tell you because secret that's about cop. All Jason he's Bourne done. is secret cop. Uh, but this book has a 2.7 stars on Amazon. Mm-hmm. 3.0 stars on Goodreads. So let's hear with the the lethal child of two cultures <laughs> um, what um, the reviews are for it. Continuing onwards about Jake Maroc, who's the main character. 
He's a martial arts expert and former agent of the top U.S. government agency known as the Quarry. Jake Murak has experienced great betrayal and tragedy, caught up in a game of shifting loyalties. On a high plateau in the heart of Asia lies Shan, which is a holy site, and Jake Murak, the American person with supernatural gifts, assumes it's his job to save it. Sure. Um, sure. And it's 656 pages of nothing. So we go to the reviews. Go to the User reviews. reviews. Mm-hmm. This is from Bubba. Oh, cool. Bubba's in the mix. I like Les Bader, but the book spends too much time on the history of why things have come to be the way they are now. I was hoping for a bit more action. It's not a page turner, and it's not worthwhile. Um, so I was it's looking pre- for a bit more action. Most of the book just talks about the characters and where they come from. And, that's... and then that's it. Just like gives a, a bunch of backstory to the characters. So that's why people don't like it too much. Mm-hmm. Uh, next user review from Wilson. Wilson gives you two stars. Okay. Not as good as book one. Not enough Jake action. Not enough Jake action. Not of enough action from Jake. Yeah. Uh, I'm assuming from what he means is Jake really does nothing the whole book. He walks. Yeah. And they talk about his life and how much trauma he has. Well, there, I guess there was a situation there where he had uh, been, he was in more action in another book. Well, the this is the second uh, part to a series of China books that he writes. Okay. And it's a sequel to the book Jian, which I've read uh-huh. as well, which is pretty fucking okay. <laughs> yeah. Um a lot of Jake action? In There's it? a ton of Jake action. <laughs> Give me that Jake action. Yeah. Yeah. Um this comes from an unnamed person. Okay. This user review. I bought this book because the first volume Gian was wonderfully complex and fascinating. Volume two, Shan, repeated many of the background stories. Which uh, yeah, it just pretty much rehab it's half of this book is terrible. The first huh? book. Um, Half of the book is the first book. It's like it was written by a 13-year-old horny neighbor. That's the word? Some An anonymous person wrote? Yeah. Whoa. Like it was written by a prepubescent boy. Okay. Okay. Um, That's something to talk about, I guess. What does it say about the author that the daughter of Jake is a substitute for his life partner? Is that fact? In the book, yeah. pretty much. Like it's just like mm-hmm. I'm not gonna get married because I have superpowers, so my daughter's the only one that loves me. Kind of deal. Yeah, um, yeah. I would think. Yeah. Essentially, like I hope my I I hope if I have superpowers, people still love me. Yeah. Um. This book is pretty much just like I'm gonna ruin it because it's a bad book from 1987. Oh yeah. I'm Essentially, what happens is Jake and Bliss's daughter are just with each other the whole time, and then the daughter dies at the end. Hell yeah. And that's it. That's like every... Rip. Yeah. You mm-hmm. can just assume that's going to happen from the beginning. Mm-hmm. And my last user review, from Shan Thacker. What? I don't know what. But A it's Shan fan. Shan Thacker. One star. 
This is literally the shittiest book I've ever read. I could not get past page 14. It sounds like an uneducated 13-year-old boy with an Asian fetish was trying to write something epic and failed and published it anyway. When the shit hits the Shan. Thacker. Wow. Um, so Shan Thacker didn't like the book named after themselves. That seems like the upside down version of Shane Becker is Shan <laughs> Thacker. Thacker. Like, like another dimension yeah. of you, you're Shan Thacker. I'm Shan Thacker. I don't like your novel. Yeah, that's kind of funny for you from another uh, dimension. <laughs> so yeah, Eric Van Lustbader. Mm-hmm. Whatever. Yeah. But let's get into some Eric Van Lustbader topics. Huh? Okay, let's let's switch gears to that. So okay. people only know him through Jason Bourne, really. Yeah. People know him from one other thing. People know him from one other thing one that's not Jason Bourne thing. or Shan, the Shan series. Yes. One <laughs> other thing, which gets me into my question, yeah. which is also a subtopic. Yeah. In 2016, Eric Van Lustbader sent out this tweet. Now imagine you just receiving this phone call from just your relative. Okay. This Chipotle thing is still ongoing. My editor ended up in urgent care after being deathly ill all night from eating at Chipotle's. Wow. That could have been a tweet. No, it is a tweet. It's a real thing. It's happened. Consequentially from this, Chipotle's stock plummeted. How much money was lost on the Chipotle stock as a result of this tweet? As a ra- result of the Jason Bourne Shan guy tweeting, that how his much editor is dying in the hospital? How much? How, let's see. The Shan fans and the Bourne fans collectively, you got to think Bourne fans. Everybody knows Jason Bourne, so I'm going to assume ten percent of the people who like Jason Bourne are following him. On in Twitter, yeah. So yeah. they saw this, yeah, which sparked a m- plummeting of Chipotle's stock. Yeah, how much money did Chipotle lose? Mm-hmm. A three hundred million. Mm-hmm. B six hundred million. C eight hundred and fifty million. Or D none of the above. A three hundred million. B six hundred and fifty million. C eight hundred million. Or D None of the above. How much did they lose because of this viral Because tweet? of the author of this book from 1987 tweeting that his editor is sick in the hospital. Uh, you know what? I mean, I'm down two points. And really, the only thing that makes this episode for myself, if we're talking about points... Um, memorable is if I just let the shit hit the Shan and I'm going to say that the answer is much lower than any of those and I'm going to go with D none of the above I think it is below 300 million dollars the answer A 300 million dollars damn okay so it was the less than of so i'm getting stomped here folks uh stomped this tweet was sent out july 8th 2016 july 9th 2016 chipotle's stock went from 11.7 billion to 11.4 billion Oof. uh kind of like the time that like, elon musk smoked weed with joe rogan and then that was like it just took a hiccup 
Yeah. Uh, CNBC went so far as to dubbing this tweet as the born indigestion. Indigestion. Ooh. Uh, so they even found a, a news story in it. So uh, pretty much when this happened, Chipotle it was like, we have... We've been aware of this tweet, but no, there's been no reports from any of the Chipotles in New York of this happening. <laughs> or any, any of it. Due to Chipotle. And so uh, Eric Van Lesbetter goes on a mini Twitter spree to like cover his ass. Mm-hmm. And uh, he says, I haven't accused anybody of anything. Just reporting about my editor who is home now. Very weak after spending nine hours in the ER. From Chipotle. <laughs> and then he says, hey, hey, guys. Let's get this all, this whole Chipotle thing squared and straight. I'm just worried about my friend's health, period. Just reported what she told me. Everything else is on other people's minds with one favorite. One favorite. And I guess he kept getting like blown up about this because all these tweets are happening within half an hour of each other. So are they coming after them in support of Chipotle? I don't think. I don't know. I Probably in support of Chipotle, yeah. <laughs> so he started a war he couldn't finish. And then he said, I will no longer answer about the incident. I tweeted because I was worried that my friend got so sick. Didn't want it to happen to anyone else. And then, as a person who normally starts a fight for no reason ends it on their own terms because they can't handle it anymore to put the ugly the ugliness to rest i am actually a long chipotle wait that's not what it says to put the ugliness to rest i am actually long chipotle in an account not managed by me Ooh. the one time i ate at a, the one time i ate at a chipotle's i enjoyed it he keeps calling chipotle chipotle's which is which it is sounds like a Yinzer grandma. Yeah, which would be somebody who wrote the book Shan. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> pretty Not much. A, you know what I have to say him. about that 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 tweet those that tweet burial there. Not yeah. enough Jake action. Not enough fucking Jake action. Where was he? Not enough Jake action. So, Act One here. Very. I'm getting stomped. I'm getting. I'm getting my butthole opened up and lived in. And two zero here so far. I hope your mind's getting stomped with all this fun book action. Yeah. Um, so I've learned a lot, and I've actually unlearned a few things as well. Um, so that's very cool. Um, so you're up two zero. We're gonna hit a commercial break, and when we return, vintage versus modern. I was gonna say settles the score, but it really just—I'm hoping to get an—I'm hoping to uh, pull my goalie and get a a goal here a at the end goal. for Act Two today. Uh, Shane is actually going to be uh, reading one of the weird smut stories uh, from Amazon. So Shane here in Act Two is going to be reading "Ravaged by the Gingerbread Man." Um, so if you still want to listen. There is going to be an Act 3, but definitely stay tuned for this Act 2. This is Thrifty Podcast. Stay tuned. Ravaged by the Gingerbread Man by Fanny Tucker. Despite his cheery smile and cookie buttons, despite his iconic status... This gingerbread man was no mere cookie brought to life. She had created a monster, a being of pure, unbridled lust. Part 1. Care blinked as she read the recipe. 
This doesn't make sense, Allison. Wait. What now? Allison looked up from her rolling. A light dusting of flour covered her round, pixie face, and she looked exhausted. Kara, Kara held up a warning finger. Just don't put anything else on the baking sheets, okay? I got the recipe wrong. Allison stood up straight and cupped her left hand beneath her chin as she shook her head at the mountain of dough spread out on a stainless steel table. I thought this seemed like a lot for a hundred cookies. Did we make a double batch? Carol winced. No, we made ten times too much. Her best friend let the rolling pin fall and it thumped through the dough. Oh my god, Kara! All that work! I know, Kara said. I'm really sorry. But it wasn't the work she was concerned about. When she and Allison started the bakery a year ago, it had seemed like a dream come true. Neither woman had really understood the hard reality of running a small business. And so far, they hadn't accomplished much, unless you counted draining their savings account and putting a strain on their friendship. Now with the Christmas season upon them, they finally had a chance to turn a profit, but they had been working 12-hour days to turn out enough cookies, cakes, and pies to keep up with the seasonal flood of offers. Kara's mistake had cost them two hours of hard work mixing, measuring, rolling the dough in it, all of it wasted. <laughs> what were they going to do with an extra hundred pounds of gingerbread dough? I'm so sorry, Allison. I'm just so tired from all the work we've been putting in and... Allison held up her hand to stop her. You know what? Forget it. I'm going home. <laughs> Kara didn't reply. Just plucked at the dough while Allison washed her hands and took off her apron and threw it in the hamper. As she picked up her purse, Allison looked back at Kara and her anger softened. Look, Kara, we're both tired from these long hours, but I can't keep ignoring Paul. It's Christmas. We can deal with all this tomorrow. I'll come in bright and early, okay? Sure thing, Kara said, forcing a smile. You go ahead. I'll close up. Kara, taken aback by how the small business has really just ruined her friendship and ruined her mental health. Sad aside, maybe not, Kara says. Maybe not when it's just a lump on your table, but what if? Struck by a, jo a jolt of inspiration, Kara decides to make a full-sized gingerbread man for the shop window. Just under six feet, with a big round head and blocky arms, she says to herself. But again, measuring is hard. There's still a bit of dough left. A cylindrical lump several inches long, Kara thinks to herself. When in doubt, make a dong. Obviously, she's way too much of a pro to leave the ginger dong on when there's a window display. But Kara continues. As a frisky impulse that anticipates the girlish giggles, she and Allison will share some of the wide awake, like a, a wide awake slumber party. It's all worth it. After all, they could still display them in the storefront window after they broke the penis off. <laughs> it would make a good snack while they decorated cookies. She put her gingerbread man in the oven. Her gingerbread man had plumped a bit as he cooked. His arms and legs were thick, just like a real man's. The penis she grafted onto his body had swollen as well. 
The pornographic confection stood enormous and erect, its tip almost touching the oven ceiling. Somehow she got in the shape of it just right, from the swell of its head, to the slightly curved shaft, to its two lovely dangling balls. When she thought about what Allison might say when she saw it, Kara blushed. She hadn't mean to make it that big. Her eyes lingered on the gingerbread member, and she felt a pang of longing. How long had it been since she'd gotten laid? I wish you were a real man, she said, putting her hand on the still warm gingerbread man's arm. The gingerbread man just lay there, cock and smile, pointed to the ceiling. And just like that, as some mysterious stroke of magic, the gingerbread man leapt from his stainless steel table and stood up erect penis still throbbing he held a glazed donut in one hand one big blocky hand and as she wanted or and as she watched he stuck it out on the end of his big doughy manhood his gingerbread hips thrust up into the donut but she'd made him too thick for that donut hole and he split it in two as he tried to stick his cock in it you play too rough Kara said. Fortunately, Kara's vagina had not been made out of dough, even though it's been a while. The gingerbread man will find her donut hole more accommodating. Whose romantic patter consisted of those celebrated rhymed couplets, delivery, and a silly voice fluctuated frequently with the ejaculations. Ahoo! Ahoo! Suck, suck, suck! As hard as you can, you're gonna blow me. I'm the gingerbread man, he said. This gingerbread fella, well, he's cut from the same mold. This is their meeting, cute moment. With the crumbs of a fuck-to-death donut still filling from his fist. Strip, 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 take off those pants. You're gonna be impaled by my gingerbread lance, he says. While he moved the rolling pin's handle inside her, she reached out to stroke his cock with her fingers. It was smooth and firm, and yet still warm as though he'd just been pulled from the oven. The leftover pizza dough she used to sculpt his cock had been big enough, and the oven had made it huge and fat. As she thought that the girth stuffing in her, Kara realized that she wanted it badly. Oh, put it in me, she whispered, her voice hoarse with urgent and desire. Please. As if he'd only been waiting for her invitation, the gingerbread man pulled the rolling pin free and tossed it aside. He stepped closer, and Kara reached down to guide his fat cock into her body. As his head breached her tight passage, she cried out, clutching at his shoulders as she realized just how big he really was. His cock felt his cock felt impossible. Her body stretched around him, straining to contain his bulbous member. Somehow he kept coming, working his way into her firm insistence. 
working his way into her with firm insistence. Despite his size, Kara embraced him, letting her body surrender, surrender to envelop his girth. The gingerbread man's entire body shuddered, shuddered as he slid into her pink sheath. She cried out again, wrapping her arms around his square torso, pulling herself, pulling herself close as he buried himself inside her. Oh God, it's so big! She breathed. Please be gentle. But in the heat of the moment, Kara had forgotten who he really was. Only minutes before, this strange gingerbread man had been horny enough to fuck a donut. Now he just laughed. Fuck, fuck, fuck. As hard as I can, I'm gonna pound you. I'm the gingerbread man. Damn. That's it? That's that's what Amazon would let me read. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that's not even the end? Not yet. <laughs> All right, well, on to Act 3. Back from that fantastic retelling of sexual intercourse uh, with a gingerbread man, um, it's been a very Shane-prevalent episode this week so Ha-ha. far. So Let's Shane, talk about me more. Shane is kicking my ass at this, so I will be losing. No. Vintage, oh! Because I will be wagering one point. So Shane is going to be wagering one point in Which this war. Which still means you have to get it right. Yeah. But if I miss it, we tie. Yeah. And then... And uh, then... Sudden uh, death Shane overtime. Yeah, there could be a sudden death Shane point because Shane is on the episode. So it, c- it could get crazy here. Um, in the break interim, I got a phone call from uh, somebody from the United Healthcare. And what I usually do, because uh, birth certificate name-wise, my dad and I have the same name. And we obviously are born different times. So when I get a call for Todd Tondera, I immediately say, um, do you want the, the, the son or the father? And I'm going to lie if they say son. I'm going to say I'm the father. But I'm saying... And a lot of the time it is for the father, and they just say, oh, the father, or I ask what the birth date is. And this time, unfortunately, it was a call for me, and I did have to lie. So um, I think we should get right back into it. Um, let's get into the final act of the show today. Vintage versus modern. Vintage versus modern. Now, for new listeners to the show, Vintage versus Modern, we take a piece from a curated, our curated thrift haul in Act 1, and we use that as our vintage or as our modern, and then we go on ebay.com, the website, to find a counterpart to it, and then we ask the other person on the show, Vintage versus Modern, which has more value. Ooh. Um, so, do you want me to go first? Do you want to go first? What do you want to do here? It's up to you. I guess we could have you go first. Okay, decide me reading the first? No, me? I'll just ask you mine. Okay, so you, okay, so you'll and be then, going I first. I mean, we can take it from there, and if I, if you get it, we could have a tie. Yeah. So I miss yours. So hit me with your vintage versus modern for this week. So we talked about evil Nazi corporation IBM. We sure did. You know, they're a signature uh Laptop, the ThinkPad, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, also, the ThinkPad, taken from a Nazi. Uh, that think too. Watson was a big Think guy, and that was like his propaganda shit. 
Oh. It was like he's just gonna say think all the time. So the think pad was uh, a child of a Nazi. Gotcha. Uh, so we have a vintage IBM ThinkPad 365 XD Windows 95 vintage laptop with original charger. Oh, original charger. And we also, for our modern, have a Livono IBM T400 ThinkPad, very clean. So we're looking at computers. We're looking at old computers versus new computers. And I'm assuming for an old computer of that, um, people want old computers to run the old specific programs is the only purpose that I would think of that people would want an older computer. I mean, we're sitting on a $150 gaming system that only runs on a computer from the 80s. Yeah, kind of fucked up. Yeah. Um, I know recently, and you know recently, that I've been looking into laptops. Um, yeah, I've had that's kind of why this is there. Okay. Because brother ate your ass. Yeah, uh, brother ate uh, bit the S off of uh, the key, uh, my keyboard of my MacBook Pro from 2013. Does the S still work? The S still works, but the S the S was super glued back on. Yeah. So it doesn't have the bounce capability. You just have to hit it and it registers, but there is no kind of bounce feedback to tactical taptic. Yeah. So it's it it uh, Prin actually helped me because Thanks, Prin, Prin Prin was here recording with me the day of that situation. The S epidemic. The yeah. So I've been looking at them and I've noticed there's refurbished Mac laptops from the same era, and people buy them. Mm-hmm. Um. I know through Thrifty, I've used this same laptop the whole time. And I'm pretty sure all the other ones, too, that I did. Um, so anyway, I, I now know that there is a market, is the point, for older laptops. Um, for newer laptops, nobody really buys IBM here. Um, I don't know somebody with an IBM. Um, the only people that I th- see with ThinkPads are people that work for IBM. Yeah, like under the umbrella of yeah. that uh, so I'm going to think, honestly, that I, I, I still think, obviously, the modern is, is more value, but I, I'm I'm kind of stuck on the fact that, yeah, I've been looking at old refurbished laptops, and they're still money. But how about an IBM from them? What does that run? Nothing. Um, so this is definitely a hard one, but I am going to go with modern, and I'm going to say 699 on the modern and 299 on the vintage, but I will say modern yeah i'm gonna go modern final answer the modern just the price of it 179 okay well i'm do you think the vintage is more or less i think it's still gonna be less than that then the vintage is 285 and see that's why we lose you like talked yourself out of that i really thought you were gonna pick vintage that whole time well yeah i mean like there's a market for it no one wants a new one well, what I was what I was thinking of, there is a market for those old laptops. There's no doubt, and I found that out recently. But I'm saying, like, who wants a new IBM? And so that's why I was like, but it's still new. Yeah. So I literally, anything you gave me today, I have vomited back out. You flubbed it. Yeah. So I'm getting, I'm getting a goose egg. Mm-hmm. Once upon a time, I got four points in one episode. Now yeah, I'm tough, down to none. Tough that I'm going to get four points this episode. So uh, Shane, who has won, um, I we believe, uh, three episodes in a row, looks like four. Because he has won this. And this is just for his flex point. Um, so my vintage versus modern will have to do with Benicula. 
And Benicula, we've talked about in Act 1, I will be using uh, for the... uh, the the vintage one I'm going for 1979, and the modern one would be in yeah in modern time. So and these are the exact listings: vintage Benicula, a rabbit tale of mystery handbook, and this is a hardcover. I'll Ooh. have you know. Um and versus the modern Benicula, a rabbit tale of mystery by Deborah Howe and James Howe. And that's the the latest edition of Benicula. It has a um, bit of a different cover, uh, kind of fancier cover. I'm gonna. It's a book. It's a book. A old book's, a book. books get a lot of pop. Sure do. Could be. I gotta think that the old book wins it here. You think so? It's hardcover. It definitely it's first is. First edition. Definitely is. It's old. Yep. I'm thinking the old book, sixteen bucks. Ooh, okay. I'm thinking the new book, five. Even with the cover, huh? Yeah. Okay. So I'm saying pretty firmly vintage. I don't think that anyone cares about Benicula now. Gotta think nobody cared about Benicula then. But you gotta think 8 million did eventually. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So this is, uh, you know, when was your first Benicula? Is the question here. Um, So... Shane went vintage on this one. And uh, so the Vintage Benicula, A Rabbit Tale of Mystery Handbook, which is uh, is a hardcover, versus the Modern Benicula, A Rabbit Tale of Mystery by Deborah and James Howe. Um, Shane said vintage. Um, I the, certainly did. The Vintage book is $14.92. So $8 off, huh? Or $0.08 cents off, huh? Do you still feel confident that yeah. fourteen ninety two is more than the Modern? Yeah. Well, I got news for you. The modern is $9.49. Wow, I skunked you. Sweeped it. I got everything right. I sucked eggs. For nothing. Nothing. The sweep. So you cleaned, sweeped me this week. Um, So we had a, a lot of books that came to play, and I obviously didn't do my homework on life because I didn't get a single point. No. But we learned some. we learned some stuff along the way. You learned about Benicula. You learned about fucking the gingerbread man. Uh, fucking a gingerbread man. I learned about Shan. You learned about IBM and being Nazis. Yeah, IBM's a bunch of we Nazis. We learned about aliens among us. And here is something that all the listeners could learn about. And guess what we're talking about? Uh-oh. Commonwealth Press. Oh, man. CWPress.com. Right now, use the promo code Thrifty or Thrifty Podcast. You could order 50 shirts and get 12 in your order for free cwpress.com especially in times like right now during this pandemic anything helps um so yeah they do ship out and they do do social distancing if you do pick up they set up their parking lot so that can be done in a uh, healthy and safe way cool people that's where thrifty stickers are from check out cwpress.com just go ahead and type it in your browser and look around even look at the stuff you have say you're like you know what i don't need t-shirts i don't need t-shirts right now that's fine just go go buy a bottle opener go buy a sticker cwpress.com help them out and also steve bears of bluffs bluffs.bandcamp.com the theme to our show for many reasons alternate reality and also something you've never seen before so shane today um uh, uh, now that we have known um, 
what exactly goes on with uh, the gingerbread man. Um, mm. I have a question for you. In the next coming episodes, would you like to uh, investigate more of these books and maybe more Act 2s? 100%. Cool. So, That's the spooky Act 2. That was spooky Act 2. Spooky. The groceries are going to fuck you. Get roached. <laughs>